0: And I invite you to uh, give your attention to God's word as we continue along in our journey of Luke. Grateful for Dr. Poland preaching last week. I'm so wonderful for the reminder of just who Jesus is and for those wonderful words in Colossians that came alive to me. And I'm thankful for our dear brother, for Gene, both. Just reminded of what a treasure God's word really is. So let's give our attention to it. We're looking today at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. That's what we'll be reading. So remember as I read, this is the word of God. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chizah, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him, What this parable meant? He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved.
1: And the ones on the rock
0: are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. But then reading on. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. And so, it's a matter of the soil. Now, you know I'm probably happy to talk about soil. When I was growing up, somebody pointed out the difference to me one time between dirt and soil. you know what it is? Dirt is what you sweep up on your floor and throw away in a dustpan. Soil is what you grow things in. What I want to encourage you to know today is that the Word of God that we are reading and talking about right now, the Word that I'm proclaiming to you, is powerful and effective. We need to have a deep and profound understanding and appreciation for the fact that God's word is accomplishing everything that God intends. Don't judge its power and effect simply by your observation. Because we tend to see those areas in which seemingly it fails. Where people don't believe. Where salvation is not wrought. But understand and know that God's word is at work. As we begin this chapter and as I read farther than he thought I was going to and farther than I realized I was going to but knowing that in order to get this whole sermon in I needed to have all of it there. As we see the Lord Jesus having worked wonders he continues. He doesn't settle in in any one particular place but he goes on through cities and villages because he has a mission to fulfill. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling that mission. Not his popularity, nor in those times when people disapprove of him, will he be dissuaded from carrying out the purpose for which he's been sent. And in that we can give thanks. Because Jesus always does what is right and good and necessary. But notice what he is doing. He is always about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now just because Every instance of his visiting a city or a village doesn't include this statement. We need to know that nevertheless, wherever he went, he preached. He proclaimed God's kingdom. He proclaimed the the, the necessity of repentance and faith. That's what he did. And he brought good news with him. Good news that meant more than political deliverance from Roman authority, but ultimately deliverance from judgment and from the consequences of our sin. The twelve were with him. He has the entire apostolic band accompanying him at this point. But also we read about the women who were with him. Not all of them are named. Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils have been cast. Now let me say something in regard to this. That's what we know about Mary Magdalene's past. Now I know that Many a dramatic representation of her has her having been a prostitute. There is absolutely no biblical evidence for that. How many of you are surprised by that? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hands. There is no biblical evidence for Mary Magdalene having been a prostitute. And yet, well, we know it's true because I saw it on that TV show I watched, right? Remember, it's always best to read the book.
1: We also read
0: about others. We read, uh, for example, of Joanna, who only appears in Luke's account. And it's caused scholars to surmise that perhaps Luke knew her personally or knew someone who did know her, and therefore we have information in his gospel narrative that we don't have in the others. She was well-placed, the wife of Chizah, Herod's household manager. Herod, a rank unbeliever, who, of course, would have Jesus before him at trial in the future. And yet, here she is, a believer who's providing for this ministry out of her own means, as the other women also provided. And Susanna, only mentioned here, nowhere else in all of Scripture, but forever and always, her name is memorialized here. That's not bad. And many others. Who were they? We would like to know. Some of them we know, most of them we don't. But they provided for this ministry to take place out of their own means. It is a remarkable statement on the part of Luke, who gives such a prominent place to women throughout the course of his gospel narrative. And so we all can be encouraged that regardless, male or female, first of all, we all have been created in the image of God. And secondly, we all benefit from the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus so that we all are in this family of faith. And we get thanks. But again, for this, the fact that Jesus stayed on mission and message unaffected by popularity or disapproval, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town, can't you see it? Can't you see a 21st century marketing expert would come up and say, Now, Jesus, we've got a good thing going here. Be careful what you say. We don't want to offend anyone. We have a way of attracting more and more people. Jesus was no more interested in that sort of thing then than he would be now. Because remember, his purpose was to do the will of God. His primary purpose was not to gather as large a group as he possibly could get. Now that seems to run contrary to our understanding. But we see that in this text. He's unaffected by the popularity. Just as he was unaffected by disapproval when it came. And so... He continues through those towns and villages proclaiming good news of the kingdom of God, just as it is revealed in Scripture. What we see in this is that there's a vast difference, is there not, between onlookers and true disciples? Somebody's written a book in recent years called Not a Fan. You know, it, it means more to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus than to simply say, I'm a fan. I, I love seeing and reading about what he did and things that he accomplished. No, it, it Being a disciple means more than that, more than an interested observer. Many of those people were watching and waiting, hoping some other miracle would take place or Jesus would take it to the Pharisees again. They were just waiting for whatever it may have been that they were looking for. But Jesus' interest is in discipling those who have faith in him. It's never to pander to the crowd. And so he tells them a parable a story. And Jesus often did this. He employed the use of these parables in order to teach profound lessons, simple stories that convey profound truth. And in this particular one, what we begin with is a simple understanding that the sower sows his seed. And of course, we know from the interpretation that seed is representative of the Word of God. It is a metaphor for the Word of God. There's much that we can say about that. In fact, I could spend the rest of the sermon just on this one point. The sower sows his seed. What are we to be engaged in at this very moment as we have the charge from the Lord to make disciples of the nations? Sow seeds. That's our responsibility. Now, he goes on and talks about environmental considerations, considerations of the soil upon which the seed falls, but the sower's responsibility, indeed his mission, is to sow And that's what we do. Our primary concern is not in the results. Our primary concern is in being faithful to the Lord God. Just as Jesus was being faithful in the course of his ministry, he proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. He was sowing seeds. But then we see that not all of the seeds produced. We see the distinction among the soils. Something about which we have no control over. Now, I can think about the ways we planted when I was growing up helping Papa in the garden and in corn, sometimes sowing grass and barley, rye. And um, we had a seed sower, a little hand crank device. The seed all went in a sack and it was, you know, in the front. And uh, I remember when Papa finally let me use that thing. And I'd walk through the field, turn that handle and then those fan blades would whirl and the seed would go out but I never could get it quite evenly distributed. As a little fellow, my great-great-uncle Lawrence Winchester just seemed to be a master at being able to sow with his hand. He knew just how to sling that seed out there, and it was a lot more even than I could do it with that mechanized device, and I just never did get it the way I wanted it. But the seed went out, and sure enough, not all of it produced equally because there are those hard places in the ground where it just simply never takes root. And we realize that in the course of the ministry of God's Word, that not all seed produces equally. But again, I want to emphasize something that is very important. I'll probably say it again before it's over. After all, I remember what a preacher told me one time. He said, son, if you're going to preach good, you've got to do this. You've got to tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them. And then you tell them what you told them. He wasn't Presbyterian, but it was a good three-point message. So I might repeat and repeat myself again. But I want you to have firmly fixed in your mind that production is not a result of the efficacy of the seed. The seed is powerful. The seed is equally powerful in all circumstances, whether it falls on a rock or whether it falls on good soil. There is nothing deficient about the word keep that in mind the soil differs and of course we see in the story and in the interpretation that the Lord Jesus gives us an explanation for why not everyone believes the birds of the air come along and devour it I've seen this happen many times after sowing down a field the next morning there's blackbirds all over the place they're out there pecking it up, just getting one after the other. But generally enough, got left behind. And things grew, and of course, the Lord Jesus said, "This is what Satan does." Now, notice he's not embarrassed to mention Satan. In our modern context in church, I'm sure there are very few churches today, in comparison to how many churches there are, where the devil is talked about seriously. We're embarrassed by the very concept. We don't know when to even acknowledge that he's there. In fact many churches today don't even acknowledge sin or evil at all but he is a reality and jesus makes that clear and one of his purposes in life is to snatch away that message that's been proclaimed before someone acts on it it is a truth and jesus conveys it here for us we also see of course that uh, there is the falling on the rock, the very thin soil. Probably in this area, as commentators have noted, there is a there's a very rich soil that's on the ground because of volcanic eruptions that took place over the years, and some of that soil settled into areas and and provided a very rich basis for things to grow in, but in other areas the the rock was too near the surface, and so things just never really had a chance. Initially they would grow up and, and look to be very healthy but because the roots couldn't get down to that moisture that was deeper as soon as the surface moisture was gone then the plant ultimately would die and of course the Lord explains how this happens does he not as uh, just as he explained about that that fell along the path and the birds snatched it the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but having no root they believe for a while And in a time of testing, fall away. We've all seen that in our experiences. If we've been a Christian for any length of time, when we see someone positively respond to the Word of God, we think, oh, yay! And then they fall away. It isn't that they were saved and then lost. It's that they never really took the Word to heart. They never were really redeemed. They weren't actually born again. There was that initial joy, initial indication of faith, but then... Time and testing proved that they are not. Again, it's not a deficiency in the word. It's simply that it's the contrary type of soil. So environmental conditions determine growth, but not the nature of the seed. It's simply a truth that I want to convey to us. Because when we're engaged in ministry, we're going to have the joy of seeing people respond and walk with the Lord. But we also are going to have the heartbreak of seeing people initially reject it altogether. They will not have anything to do with it from the get-go. Others will seem to respond positively, but then have nothing to do with it. We have to understand that that's going to happen. Jesus is telling us right here. But in the meantime, what? The sower sows the seed. We continue with the work. We see also that there are thorns. Thorns grow up and choke out seed. The cares of the world, concern over other matters come into play. Turning away from God's word for things that, that seem better. You know, initially the seed went in the soil and looked like it was going to do well. But, but, you know, when it started growing, you realize there's a greater population of things there than you knew existed weeds which already had roots way down in the ground suddenly show themselves and because they have those deeper roots they thrive while the seed planted doesn't my uh, grandfather's first cousin Aaron Winchester was a wonderful highly intelligent man who never finished high school he didn't finish high school because at the age of 15 in the middle of the great depression The local banker came by and told his dad that he was foreclosing on the family home and they were going to be evicted. So Aaron quit school and went to work. And all of the money that he made, what little that he made, went to the banker so that he could save his parents' house. Now, I don't know about you. You can talk about his lack of education, but he's kind of a hero in my eyes. He went off to World War II and he fought valiantly. I always remember Aaron saying when he had ridden the train... Back to Asheville at the end of the war, after it was over, he got off the train car and he had his uniform coat unbuttoned, and there was a military policeman standing nearby and came over and said, son, button up your coat. Aaron reached in his pocket and handed him his discharge papers. The MP looked at it and said, boy, I wish I had one of these, and handed it back to him. Aaron farmed the little plot of land that went with that house that he was able to save during the Depression. And there was a particular weed that grew in that bottom land called Burdock. Up in the mountains, we just called it Old Dock. It's not tall. It just looks like a short, stumpy little plant on the surface of the ground. But man, I'm telling you, that thing's got roots that go halfway to China. I would go by and see Aaron sometimes and he would be out there digging and he'd have a great big deep hole in the ground trying to get all of that dock root out of there. He kept working at it. He said, this is a losing proposition. He never gave up working but he couldn't get those roots dislodged. We simply need to know that in this fallen world as we sow the seed, there are deep rooted weeds and thorns that are going to choke out any of the seeds that are sown. And it will seem as if The evil one is prevailing because there are a lot of weeds out there. And if that were the end of the story, it would be a disheartening one indeed. But Jesus goes on to tell us that there is seed which falls on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, in that day and time, when they lacked modern farming techniques and there wasn't things like fertilizer, at least as we have it, and other means of preparing the soil they got a crop to produce tenfold, that was a pretty good year. Thirtyfold was really good. A hundredfold, that was absolutely bumper crop ground. That would have been an extraordinary amount of production. And you see, even though we see where the seed often does not produce the way that we want it to, it nevertheless is producing in other ways, often that perhaps might not be readily visible to us. So we see as we look at this that indeed people may, and indeed they do, reject God's Word, often immediately. For some, it's years later, after apparently accepting it. I say apparently because had they really accepted it, They never would have left it behind. But nevertheless, having not accepted it truly, they turn away from it. But what we do know is this, is that true faith in Christ will stand the test of time and adversity. Those two things, time and adversity, even though we're dealing with both of them. And I'm realizing that time is going by faster now than it used to seem like it used to take christmas about 10 years to come and now it's happening about every three months and i won't even talk about birthdays time and adversity it's not easy to believe we are joked about and made fun of on every imaginable media and increasingly we are hated It's not just that people see us as not being helpful and a part of the solution. We increasingly are declared to be the problem. Not part of the problem, but the problem. And many people, not wanting to be labeled in that way, don't attend church. They don't want to be associated with Christians. Even though they grew up in a Christian home, they don't want anything to do with it because they don't want to be one of those people. And that temptation is always there. Yet, those who are truly of the Lord, they will continue. That's why, despite all of its violent attempts to stamp out Christianity in Eastern Europe and in the former Soviet Union, communism could not prevail against Christianity, and neither will it prevail in China. Because those who truly are the Lord's will prevail. And there's absolutely nothing that they can do politically, socially, or by way of... Peer pressure to eradicate faith in those who truly believe. And so we see that true faith endures. Having talked about the seeds, and as I need to close this out quickly, rejoicing in the fact that there is good soil and that there will be a hundredfold production, the bearing of fruit with patience. Remember that implies, patience and long-suffering implies that adversity we were talking about. You can't hide this under a lamp. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand. We need to know that uh, God's work always is conspicuous and unconcealable. You can't hide a transformed life. You may feel like you don't have the words to say. You may feel like, well, I haven't been to seminary, I don't know how to share the gospel. The transformation of your life speaks volumes. I remember talking to a lady one time who was not a Christian. I trust that she came to know the Lord Jesus, but I don't have any assurance of that. But she she was talking to me as I was engaging with her and telling her about salvation. And she mentioned a neighbor of hers. She said, I think my neighbor is a Christian. And I think he believes what you're talking about. She said, I'm not so sure about all that you're telling me, but one thing's for sure, she said. so many words, she said it that way. She said, I'd like to have whatever he's got. God works in mysterious ways, but also in conspicuous ways. The light shines. Your light is shining as grace is working in you. But we need to be careful we need to be careful how we listen and how we hear and what we do with the message that has been proclaimed finally takeaways that's why i put that line there that's you know without employing john's words i wanted to let you know i'm i'm getting in on the action too evaluate the power of the gospel by what it does not by what you think it ought to do i don't know how to say it any more simply than that. But the temptation is always for us to judge the gospel in terms of what it's not accomplishing. What about those people who don't believe? What about this person, that person, those people? Evaluate the gospel in terms of what it does. Think about those who have been redeemed. Think about your own story about how God has saved you. It is at work in you. Do you have any explanation for it? Have you earned it? Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. How is it that God could save someone like me? You're a testimony to the power of God's Word inasmuch as you believe in the Lord Jesus as opposed to doing what everyone else seems to be doing. God's Word is powerful and effective, and it's transforming lives. We also need to know that the Lord Jesus spoke in parables both to reveal and to conceal his message. I don't have a lot of explanation to give you here other than to quote him. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are all in parables. They are concealed, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand, quoting the prophet from the Old Testament. Elsewhere, in Matthew chapter 11, the Lord Jesus said to the Father, I thank you that you have not revealed these things to the wise and to the learned, but you have revealed them to children, lest you're tempted to be puffed up and think, I've really gotten this. The Lord Jesus, in that instance at least, tells us we're children. We haven't gotten this because of anything in us. It is holy by His grace. In this uh, metaphor about the Lamb, again, as we internalize God's Word, it will externalize the change that God is bringing about in us. As we receive it in our hearts, as we believe in our hearts, there will be this inevitable outworking. And the Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not one or the other, it's both and. Believing in your heart, internalizing, but then the inevitable externalizing as we confess what we have come to believe in our hearts. You can't hide it. Finally, Take care, how you hear. Take care about the way you are listening, even at this moment. Hebrews 2, I'm sorry, Hebrews 4, verses 2 and then verse 7. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He's talking about God's old covenant people. They were there, the same message that was being proclaimed, to believers was being heard by those who failed to believe, but they were not united by faith with those who truly listened. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is that possibility. There is that possibility that having heard this message, you'll simply say, oh, I've heard all that before, I know. And there'll be that that tendency to react against rather than accept. But can I say something as delicately as I can? Time is growing short. And you don't have forever. You don't have forever to respond to the word that's being proclaimed. Now I'll guarantee you there are others who are doing it better than I'm doing it. Or they can be done from this pulpit in general. Not to demean those who do it so wonderfully well. You don't have forever to consider this. Today is the day of grace. Today is the opportunity to listen. And I'm saying this not only to some of you who possibly may not yet believe in the Lord Jesus, but even to those of you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus. God is speaking to you in a particular way through his word right now. And the question is, how are you going to respond to that call on your life? I'm telling you, you don't have forever least here we don't have forever to respond to the word the time will come when the curtain falls and there will no longer be an opportunity but now the seed is sown I don't know where all it has fallen I don't know the type of soil that the seeds have struck today but I know that God's word is powerful and effective and I rejoice and give thanks thanks knowing that it's doing everything that the Lord intends and that all the glory will be His when the produce comes in. So the gospel is powerful. God's word is effective. And we give thanks that the Lord Jesus came as the word to proclaim the word. And look, we're still talking about Him today and what He accomplished. That in itself speaks volumes. I know the rest of the world thinks it's nonsense. We ought to be talking about things more relevant, things more modern, things that are more pressing on the minds of people. But what would you rather we do? Talk about things that are popular or discuss what really matters and proclaim truth. To tell people what they want to hear or be about proclaiming what we all need to hear. Thanks be to God that he sent Jesus, who did what was necessary. Even though others reject him and refuse to acknowledge and listen and take it to heart, may the Lord bless us that inasmuch as he's begun this good work, that the seed will continue to take root and grow and produce a hundredfold. Bless his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for the word that you have sent that is established firmly in the heavens.
1: Forgive us, O Lord, inasmuch as we believed
0: for our unbelief. But give us, Father, a renewed enthusiasm for sowing that as the word goes forth, you will be glorified. And, Father, we pray that you would be pleased to grant that seeds sown by us would fall on that good soil and we would see a hundredfold of production. Father, your will be done. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we conclude, let's sing again as those redeemed to proclaim, there is a redeemer. Stand with me. Let's sing together. Claim the blessing, and you can leave here and go enjoy cake in that direction or wherever you would like to go. But may the Lord bless you as you go to that end. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together. Amen. Amen.